All right, so we are officially done with Jonah. Officially done. We're not going, not going back. Uh, <laughs> no clapping. That's not allowed. Um, all right, so we finished off with talking about the, the mission of Jonah, that he was called to reach out appropriately, given, given our name change. He was called to reach out to those who didn't know Christ, who didn't know God, who didn't know the mercy of God. And he failed to do that mission. He didn't really embrace it. So he didn't have the, the joy of making known this gracious God, except in that he was bitterly kind of forced to do so. And so we are called last week to, to follow the mission of Jesus, that Jesus made the gracious character of God known. He made that nature of God known to us and that we are saved. And we are called to go out on that mission. Now, we're not officially in a series yet. Because of the marriage conference, we're taking a little bit of a hiatus. So today I want to talk about the heart behind that mission. How we can actually serve people in a way that protects us from some of the downfalls. Because we are called to, to sacrifice and to serve other people. But we want to do that in such a way that we don't end up burnt out or bitter, resentful. We don't end up fearing people. Uh, there's a lot of pitfalls. And so today we want to hear from the words of Jesus himself and hear how we might actually go about the mission of serving people in a way that, that protects us and also honors Christ. So today we're looking at Matthew 25. Matthew 25. These are the words of Jesus himself. And we're going to be starting at verse 31, going through verse 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. All right. And read with me. This is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in, per and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he answered them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
a sobering passage. We want to see three things in this passage. Three things. First of all, we will be judged according to how we serve Jesus. Second, that our service to Jesus is actually through ministering to the least of these. But finally, I want to remind us of the great service that Jesus ministered to us that made him our Lord. All right? So we're going to talk about that we're judged based upon our service to Jesus, that that service is supposed to be ministered actually to the least of these, and then finally we're going to see Jesus' service that he rendered to us. And the hope of this might, that we, might be that we actually understand the heart of serving people, which is ultimately to serve Jesus Christ. That our goal is to serve Christ ultimately. And that that is going to be the power by which we go about our mission. That's going to be the heart of our mission is that we're not serving people primarily. We're serving Jesus Christ himself. All right? So let's jump into this. Uh, we're going to start with our first point. We will be judged based upon how we serve Jesus, our King. Now that's a, that's a hard message. That's not something we're used to hearing. But before we jump in, we know it's set the genre of this. First of all, this is not a parable. We often say this is a parable of the sheep and the goats. It's not a parable, actually. It's set in the context where there's a lot of parables, but this is actually a prophecy. This is Jesus telling about what will happen in the future. Notice what it says in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Now that's, that's Jesus telling us history. He's telling us what's going to come to pass. And Jesus came once in humility. Actually, in humiliation. That was his first coming. And he's coming again in glory. The Son of Man coming in glory. And when he comes, verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So sometime in the future, God is going to separate the nations. He's going to bring them all together and divide everyone into two categories, the sheep and the goats. All right, this is just, this is just a metaphor or a simile. It's it doesn't give us a way out of the passage. I think we want to call this a parable because it's a scary passage and we want to kind of distance ourselves from it. No, this is, this is the future. This is what he will do. And he will separate the people. This is just a, a simile to help us, or help the people more so, who'd seen this separation, have a kind of mental picture. That's all it is. So we're not going to talk about goats and sheep and why you separate them or any of that stuff. Uh, that can get interesting, but not really necessary. The, 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 kind of the fact is there are two groups of people. There are two groups. Those two groups will be divided. One group will go to the kingdom, will inherit eternal life, and the other will not. All right. What is the basis by which those people are divided? All right, first some things that they're not divided by. They are not divided by political affiliation. All right, amen. All right, there will be people in, in both camps, in both camps. 
All right? Just, just so you see that. All right. They will not be, be divided by the sheep are all the people who believe in Reformed theology, and everyone else will be a goat. No, not that either. All right. It isn't even that they're divided based upon if they've professed faith in Christ. Look at the passage. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. So what is the basis? What's the basis? Jesus explains it in verse 35. As a four. This is why he's doing it. Four. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The basis of this division is how these people treated Jesus. It's what they did with Jesus, how they ministered to Jesus or did not. All right, that's, that's probably troubling for some of you. We're going to start, we're gonna start with those who, who aren't surprised by that. Now, some of you aren't surprised by that because you've always heard that you just work to get into heaven. That, yeah, it's, it's what you do. And so this sounds like just another uh, pull up your bootstrap, work really hard, and you'll get into heaven. That's kind of what it sounds like. That is not what it means. That is not what it means because we read all of Scripture and that's not what the gospel is about. I think it's instead something more like faith without works is dead. It's that kind of message here. That the best test to see who, who actually understands Christ is not what you've professed. It's not what your theological stances are. It's how you've treated Jesus. That's a better test to see if you actually understand what Christ did for you. If you actually understand where you stand with Jesus, if you've actually been saved and converted. Now, why is that a better test than, than the one that we tend to, to say in, uh, in EV? Like, so when you go to heaven... God's going to ask you why you should get in, and you, you, get a, you give an answer. It's actually not going to be that test. It's going to be this test. It's going to be this test. And why is it better? It's because, let's say that uh, you've professed that you are, you're a Christian, but you're not truly dependent on Christ. You're still working hard. You're still working hard to earn your salvation. How will that be evident in how you treat Jesus? How will that kind of person treat Jesus? They'll be apathetic about Jesus. They'll ignore Jesus. Because what are they doing? They're, they're trying to work hard to get in heaven. They just need to please the Father. And so these kind of people, they talk about the Father a lot. They talk about like doing good works for the Father, focus on the Father, their testimonies about the Father. It ignores Jesus because they don't need Jesus to get into heaven. They, that's not where they're actual faith lies. That's what, what Islam would say. That they're, they're fine with Jesus. They like Jesus. Uh, even a lot of the, the Christian cults. They, they're, they're okay with Jesus, but there's not a lot of focus on him because it's about what you do. You can throw Jesus in there, sure. But that's not going to be their main focus. Alright, let's say that you're someone who says that you're saved, but hasn't been saved, hasn't been actually renewed in spirit. 
How are you going to look in how you relate to Jesus? You're probably not going to be that concerned about glorifying or honoring Jesus. You kind of use Jesus for the ticket, and now you're going about your normal life. We know that there are those who, who kind of just superficially say that they know Christ, but they don't. Or we'd say that there are some of us who, who say that we want to love Jesus, and yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, but it's not reflected anywhere. It's not reflected in action. It's not reflected in life. And that's a sign, a sign that we don't know Christ as well as we think we do. And so, the greatest test is how you treat Jesus. What you do with him. Alright, we're probably not used to this kind of message because that's, this isn't the holistically evangelistic message. Because it's, it's calling people to more. You can't just say, pray the prayer and you're, you're in, into heaven. It's no, no, your, your heart has to change. Your heart has to change so you love Jesus and his glory more than anything else. And I think we, we've actually been sold kind of bad theology sometimes. A bad theology that might say something like, the, the first part of it's really good. And we tend to focus on the fact that, that we are sinners. And that we are dead in our transgressions. That we are dead in our sin. And that we need Christ. That Christ needs to revive you. He needs to save you. And we, we put our faith in Christ and, and that's where we stand. But one of my fears is that after that point, we teach a kind of like Christian selfishness and a Christian self-focus. Now what does this look like? We tend to, to give the message like, well, find everything that you want and you need in Jesus. Let Jesus fill your every desire. And the sad part about that is that it kind of teaches us to be selfish even as we're Christians. And we become actually really self-absorbed and are thinking, well, what can, what can Jesus give to me? He, yeah, he's given me salvation. He's given me eternal life. But now I want, I want acceptance. I want to feel valuable. Maybe I... I want self-esteem, or you want like really tangible things, like I just want a good job, and that those things actually become a replacement for the gospel. That we forget that sin is our biggest problem, and that Christ actually already provided for that. The solution to that is not to, to look to Christ for, for more or for more, but instead to realize that what Christ has already done should be our, our obsession. That we love what Christ has already done. And that we're seeking to glorify and honor and love him in light of those things. That we're just thankful and joyful about what Christ has done on the cross. Now, as we think about that, that's, that's a hard message. But that is actually what what true rebirth looks like. It's that we would be converted to be people who are not so selfish, not so self-focused, not so self-glorifying, but are instead people who glorify Christ and make much of Christ and, and long to serve and honor Jesus. So the question then is, is are you a self-seeking sinner or Christ-worshipping 
believer. That's the difference. That's what this question is getting at. Did you serve Jesus? What did that look like? All right, that's a, that's a humbling, difficult question. Right. But there's more to the story. So that takes us to our second point. Second point, we serve Jesus by serving the least of these. Look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So there's a problem with the call to, to serve and worship Jesus. Because the thing is that Jesus doesn't actually need anything. Right? It's kind of like kids trying to buy a gift for their, for their dad. Like they, they're not going to get him anything that he really needs or wants. Like He has plenty of money. Any money they have is going to be, had to be given to them by their dad anyway. It's a silly process. All right, so instead of us trying to, to give God something that he doesn't need, he kind of gives us substitutes. Substitutes. And these substitutes are the least of these. That we are called to love and to serve the least of these as Christ. Now what I mean is, is not we are to, to serve them as if we are Jesus. No, it's as if they are Jesus. That we are to serve the least of these as if we were serving Christ himself. That's how we are called to serve Jesus in this way, in this life, in this world. And that's actually going to be our kind of secret. It's not a secret. It's revealed in Scripture. But the secret to serving people well is to not just serve the people, serve the people looking to serving Christ. They are kind of looking through them, past them, and serving Christ in reality. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important that we don't just serve the people? The problem is that if we serve people, there's a lot of dangers that come with it. And the world's serving of people, kind of humanitarian efforts, they get bogged down with sin and with all kinds of problems because they get this wrong. All right, so let's talk about this. First of all, if we're serving Jesus and not people, we're going to be protected from the fear of man and from worshiping man. All right, so serving. Serving is just the other side of the coin of worship. That you serve the one you worship, you worship the one you serve. And so if you're serving people, there's always the danger that you're going to worship them. That you're going to start to exalt them, that you're going to start to fear them. The fear of man. And that's where people who serve the best are oftentimes the people who are the most scared of people. They just want to please them. And we can end up not really worshiping God or even loving people well, but we just want to please people. We want to give them exactly what we think that they want. And at that point, we're, we're slaves to people. 
They are the people that we've, they're our true God. They're the ones we're worshiping. And we're going to get in all sorts of trouble. That's when we start to burn out and we start realizing that we can't please these people because they are fickle gods. People are fickle gods. And they'll be nice to you one moment and they'll be mean to you the next. The second you step on their toes. We need to be free from that. And we get freedom from that by not serving and worshiping the people, but by worshiping and serving Christ behind them. That we're not seeking to please them, we're seeking to please Christ himself. All right. Next. This understanding prevents us from burnout. From burnout. What is burnout? Burnout is when you start to serve and you're so excited. You're so excited and you just jump in, guns blazing, ready to go. And then as you, as you continue to serve, it starts getting more and more lackluster. And you get more and more frustrated. And it's more and more disappointing every time you serve. Now what tends to happen is you tend to get bitter and you tend to get resentful. Now, why, why does burnout happen? It's because you're trying to please people who cannot be pleased. They will not be satisfied. Because people will always have more and more needs. They'll have more and more wants. They'll have more and more desires. And they're not going to stop asking you. They're not going to stop asking you to serve them. If we're serving Jesus, Jesus will tell us to stop. He will tell us that's enough. You need to stop serving now because it's not healthy for anyone. Because Jesus doesn't need your service. He doesn't need you to save people. The whole point is to worship him in joy and in peace and to worship him as gracious. So if you're serving Jesus and not people, you're not going to make that mistake and burn yourself out and become crazy. All right, next one. We're going to be protected from resentment and bitterness. Resentment and bitterness. When we're serving people, we tend to... This inevitably happens. You're, you're serving them, and you start looking at the people you're serving and, and asking questions. Like, well, I don't think they're as thankful as they should be for my service. Or like, I don't know if they appreciate me enough. Maybe I'm doing more work than they're doing. Or we start looking, looking to our left and our right and thinking, well, how come I'm doing more work than that person? Why aren't they helping me? And we all become Marthas. Whiny Marthas who say, stop worshiping Jesus and come help me. Come help me work. And we lose the whole heart of it. All right, there, if we're worshiping Jesus and serving Jesus, you can't get resentment. You can't get bitter because like, Jesus, you need to come, like, work harder. No. Jesus, Jesus works harder than you ever will, and you're a drop in the bucket considering his sacrifice. If we're serving Jesus, you don't get resentment. You don't get bitterness. He, he could go the other way, but no, we, there's no, there's no place for that. All right, we have to serve people, but serving Christ behind them. That's the only way we're going to do this with sanity. And we don't do this very well. That's why there's burnout and resentment and, and conflict about just serving people. 
All right. Now, in this passage, it's a surprise. These people, they, they get to heaven and they have questions and they're, what? Like, we didn't realize it. All right, we aren't, we're, off, we're not off the hook now. All right. Jesus has revealed this to us, so we know what the plan is. We know that this is the question that's going to be asked of us. This is the test. And we have to ask the question of, how are we doing? How are we doing? Now, as I look at our church, I would say, I would say we're pretty decent at this, actually. Pretty decent. From my perspective, uh, I've been the recipient of a lot of service lately, especially. Uh, food and, and visitation and all these things. Um, I think we have the potential to do this really, really well in our church. To serve the least of these, to serve, to serve those in need. But, but I'm going to throw a caveat to that. I think we tend to focus on the greatest of these, not the least of these. I think we tend to be really good at loving the people we naturally like or the people that we naturally love, the people we already have a relationship with, which makes sense. That's going to be our natural inclination. But I'm going to challenge us and ask the question, what if instead of serving the people in the church like that, which we should keep doing, what if you loved your neighbors with that kind of like astounding love where you're bringing them food and texting them prayers and all, all this kind of stuff? Or what if you did that for your coworkers or for kind of like the, the weird person that you know? I think that would actually, that'd be huge. I think people would be blown away by that. I think we sort of expect it in the church, but if we brought that to normal people, they would be blown away. To receive Christ's love, our love for Christ to people, I think that would be powerful. And would show them the love of Christ, would actually, would grow the church. And would be undeniable proof that, that we are a different people. And so, uh, I recognize that most of you probably don't know people who, as evidence, like our food pantry, it like has too much food. We can't give it away. Like we don't actually know that many people who have, like who don't have enough food or water. And so the question is, how, how can I actually do this? I think we have to think a little bit outside of the box, a little spiritual and think, who are the people who are socially, spiritually, emotionally needy and weak. We think of the outcasts. We think of the foreigners. Uh, we think of the, the divorced people or, or single parents. Those kinds of people who are maybe not physically in need, but, but are in need. And so I'm going to give you some homework. All right. Right, you're going to ready for write down your homework? Your homework. All right. <laughs> your homework is going to be brainstorm some people. Who are the people who are the least of these? That, and not like hypothetical people. Like who are the actual like as least of these people that are in your circles? And then think through how could you do some crazy act of love or just a simple act of love, a tangible act of love, 
that would show them that would show them Christ, but ultimately would be would be loving Christ through them. So you're not going to think, how much do I love this person? What am I willing to do? Because people aren't lovable. People aren't that great. And so if you're just trying to muster up people, love for, for people who are sinful, it's going to be really hard. That's where the point is not that. It's the saying, if this person were Christ, how could I love them and bless them? How could you love them as Christ himself? What would that look like? Yeah, that'd be, yeah, Norma, Norma was like, oh, it looked it look really intense and, and probably pretty crazy. All right, so I want you to brainstorm that. And do one. Do one. <laughs> well, we're actually going to do something now. Yeah, do it. Do it. That might look like inviting someone over dinner. That might be buying someone lunch. That might be, I don't know, having a conversation with someone, inviting them out after work, something. Something that tangibly expresses your love for Christ through them. Good? Questions? No? I would actually take questions right now. So if you do have questions, <laughs> that's not hypothetical. Uh, Helena's, Helena's thinking, do I have a question? She always wants to raise her hand. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. We'll talk later. All right. All right. All right. So, this is a big calling. This is a big calling. To love Christ by loving people. And that's why I want to remind us, I want to remind us that before Jesus Christ was just our Lord that we are supposed to serve, he was the servant who gave himself for us. And as we're bad at this, we need to be reminded once again of how Jesus already did this for us. Now think about these categories here. What are the categories? All of these categories fit with how Christ has addressed us in our sin. We are the hungry and the thirsty. That spiritually we are starving to death. That we are out in a desert and we are desperately needing something to sustain us. That was Christ. And Christ, to sustain us spiritually, gave us his flesh and his blood. That is what we eat and what we drink that we might survive. That is communion. That we, we survive only by the blood and body of our Christ, of Jesus himself. This servant God. Alright, we were strangers. We are strangers in our sin. That we are alienated from God. We are alienated from one another. We are as far as you could get from being in the family of God. And Jesus came and adopted us. He became our brother. And God became our father. He didn't just invite us over for dinner. He did, wasn't just a guest. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, be, be a guest in my house. No, he made us part of his house. Part of his family. That sin left us naked and ashamed. That ever since the fall, we have felt naked before God and before one another. And when Christ comes, he comes to clothe us with his righteousness. To give us his body, to give us his holiness. That we might no longer have to bear that shame or sin. We were spiritually sick. 
Christ came not to, not to heal the, the well, but the sick. That Christ is the great physician. That is Jesus. That we are imprisoned in our sin. That we are captives to it. We are slaves to it. And Christ came in and broke the chains. That Jesus was all of these things for us. And that's where as we go out and minister, we recognize that we are fellow, weak, hungry, naked people. That we are strangers. We, were, we are all of these things. We're not better than anyone. We're not coming in with a savior complex that we're going to go save the day. No, Jesus gets to be savior the whole time. And Jesus did things that, that we are never going to be able to do, never going to be willing to do, and things that, that aren't really what people need. That's where we're, we're ministering in the name of Christ. We're not showing them us, we're showing them Jesus, pointing them to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's the theme here. And the last thing, we have to recognize that Jesus served us and Jesus will serve those people more so and in different ways. That Jesus became the least of these. That we want to serve the least of these. Jesus became the least of these so that he might save them. We think of Jesus on the cross. Think of Jesus on the cross. Emaciated, starving on the cross. Jesus, Jesus knew hunger. God knew hunger. On the cross, he, he cried out, I thirst. I thirst. That Jesus was, was naked on the cross. He was naked and ashamed. He was a stranger on the cross. That he was cut off from, from all men and from God himself. That he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A stranger to his own father. He couldn't even call him father in that moment. We think of, of Christ becoming sin. He who knew no sin. Becoming this, this infection of sin for all the world. And then we think of his, his actual death where he, he goes into death. The prison of, of death of Sheol. And he remains there for three days. Jesus Christ became the least of these. He became the, the lowest of the low in all of human history. The spiritually lowest point in all of history so that he could love and serve others. And that's where, when we recognize that, that is why we want to serve and love Jesus Christ. That is what he's done for us. And that's sobering, but this is to be joyful. This is the happy part. This is joyful. That that's what Christ was willing to do for us. That he wasn't just this high exalted Lord. No, he was a servant first. He served and loved and sacrificed himself. And we are called not to go sacrifice and love just people. We are told to love Christ. To go love people as if they are Jesus. That's not a love that we need to muster up or look past their, their flaws. No, if we're treating them as Jesus, that should be a, a joyful work that we get a chance to, to love our Savior and honor him.